Hey there, and welcome to The Post, a Redemption Church podcast. I'm your host for today, J.P. Gaylord. We've got a great show for you today. We will be touching on questions from the audience. And today, we are joined by the one, the only, Danny Turner. Hello. As well as... Justin Kemmer. Breakfast is overrated. Oh, that is not the way to start the podcast. But before we go there, we also have with us Charles Kirby. Hello, everyone. And I would be remiss if I did not mention (laughs) our youngest podcast participant, John Gaylord. Hello, everybody. A little bit louder. Hello, everybody. Louder, son. The audience can't hear you. All right. Uh, That's fun. Um, Yeah. So, Justin, we're going to have to unpack this. Uh, You said breakfast is overrated? Yeah, just a random thought. I think that flies in the face of what I've heard from every, like, doctor, nutritionist, and mother ever. Yeah. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. People say (laughs) that. Do people still say that, though? Yeah. I think so. But it's only... Because they're like cereal companies. Yeah, they just want they just want to sell milk. <laughs> intermittent fasting is like they all the rage, do. right? Yeah, it's definitely not overrated. Okay. Think of it, Justin. You've literally gone without food for however long you've been asleep, and you're telling me that the first thing that you eat is probably not the most important thing that you eat during the day. No, not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> Plus, it's based on the options. It's even underrated. The breakfast options are terrible. Okay. Okay. All right, well, let's talk about breakfast options, and we're going to play a game. This is our our new segment, Is It Breakfast? I hope there's theme music that will be played over the top of this. Are you guys ready? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Weigh in with your hot takes. Uh, Cake. Is cake a breakfast food? Ooh. I I love this because my wife and I were just talking about it. Lexi is crazy about donuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, which it actually was National Donut Day this past week. I don't know if you guys missed it. Does that happen like five times a year, though? It probably does. Every other week. It seems like a made up (laughs) holiday, Um, but it worked because I went and bought donuts. So uh, as I was eating the donut, it was a cake donut. Yes. I had the realization that eating a donut is just eating cake in the morning. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say cake is, uh, it is a breakfast. I agree with you um, because it's, literally has batter and has frosting. Right. Like a cake cake. would. Yeah, exactly. So assuming that you're okay with donuts, you would have to be okay with cake as well. I I think so. I would say even most muffins are basically just cakes that look like a muffin. It's, I mean, it's the same substance. It's the same thing. It's just in a different shape. (laughs) And why would you not, you know, try to get your your sugar out of the way. So if you eat cake for breakfast, totally fine, acceptable in my eyes, then you at least have all day long to burn those sugar calories Amen. off. I like it. It's almost like a strategy then. Yes, the strategery. Strategery. Very good. All right. So it's unanimous then? Cake, cake, cake is in. Cake yeah. breakfasts. Awesome. Uh, number two, steak. Ooh. Rhymes with cake, but... Does it breakfast? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally on most breakfast menus. 
a little steak and eggs. So you're mm-hmm. telling me you get your breakfast truth from Denny's. You allow <laughs> Denny's to set your breakfast worldview. No, that's that's gross. <laughs> that's gross. I don't even think Denny's is selling steak and eggs. They're just selling a Grand Slam. <laughs> Seriously. The old Grand Slam breakfast for $1.99. And if free, it's a do- free on your birthday. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, it's a Denny's thing. All right, so back to steak. <laughs> steak <laughs> breakfasts. I think steak is breakfast. Uh, it has to be with eggs to be breakfast. Otherwise, it's uh, it's kind of a strange breakfast choice. But what if you had steak for dinner the the night the night before? See, I think that's yeah. I think that's probably where the the steak and eggs thought process right. started. Here's honestly. the question: it's If like, you have leftover steak, that? are you warming that up in the morning, or are you just taking it out of the fridge? Yeah. So my wife is vegan, so I don't think there's been a time I can remember when I yeah, had leftover steak in my <laughs> fridge ever. <laughs> I'm not a steak person. I eat cereal, basically. Dude, cereal's awesome. What's yeah. your favorite cereal? Um, Lucky Charms. Let's go. So let me ask you a question. If you had jerky cereal, would you eat it? Definitely not. Okay, so there's your limit on actual cereal. Because it can't have steak in it. Dried steak. Steak with milk doesn't mix at all. No. Don't don't even add on. (laughs) No. I'm taking the microphone away from you. (laughs) Because a good steak can be covered in all sorts of dairy products, including (laughs) cheese, butter, and I would even reason that a sauce made from milk would go well with a steak. Little garlic, some salt. Here, here's the thing: a good steak. I mean, certainly if it's made with a a specific sauce, or you know, I can think of a cheese sauce, or some people like mushrooms. Not not my go-to, um, but a, a well cooked, properly prepared steak shouldn't need anything else. Certainly, you can marinate it, you can season it, but I actually still love a one sauce. And so A1 sauce for me serves as the purpose for that breakfast steak the next morning. Nice speech. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. Uh, I don't, did everybody vote on steak? No, I'd, I'd, I would say you can have it for breakfast, but it depends on the way in which you prepare it and eat it. Like if you're, you're not going to have steak with mashed potatoes and gravy, like it, it, the supplemental item, and you're not going to have steak on its own. So you can have steak with other breakfast items, but it, by itself, it is not necessarily a breakfast item. What if the mashed potatoes are flattened into little pancake-shaped things and then fried? And then called hash browns. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just saying. But it's not like mashed potatoes and grit. Like, you, you're totally changing the very thing that I said. Well, it's like to, saying, well, what if we made them French fries? It's totally different than mashed potatoes. To apply Bible interpretation rules, context is king. That's, That's all true. I have to say. Okay. All right, we got to keep moving. Uh, fried chicken, breakfast or no? So about once a quarter, Pastor Josh Tovey comes in the office and wants to go to Chick-fil-A. Uh, and I always think it's a good idea. And then I eat fried chicken and what should probably be saved for the rest of the day type things like biscuits and coffee, and I come back to the office and I want to sleep all day long. And so, no, fried chicken, 
honestly is not a breakfast food. It can be a breakfast food. It tastes good in the morning. Objection, Your Honor. But I would say Anna's house, chicken and waffles, has chicken. Okay. And okay, the right. maple sauce that they put, I mean, it depends on how the chicken is prepared. It's just like the steak. But chicken and waffles is known as being a breakfast staple. Come on now. Uh, objection sustained. I assumed you were referring to me since you said your honor. Yes, I was always talking to you as your honor. <laughs> Justin? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you'll probably see a theme with me. Breakfast is overrated because the normal choices aren't always the greatest. But when you start bringing all these other foods that you want for lunch and dinner, yet you're starting the day with them, absolutely. I mean, the whole southern United States of America is all about the chicken and waffles with a little schmear and a little dab of maple syrup. But then Chick-fil-A too, the chicken and biscuit breakfasts. Yes. John, weigh in. I do not have an opinion on this. It's, Wisdom. It's okay. It's not okay sometimes. It depends on my mood because I have different food moods. I, I hope it's for everybody because I, I feel like I'm the only one who has these food moods. <laughs> Next time we will go deeper and explore John's food mood. <laughs> All right. Real quick, just a yes or no answer here. Pizza? Pizza. Breakfast pizza. Yep. D- yeah. Depends on the toppings. Cold pizza. Breakfast cold yes. pizza. It's its uh, whole not, different not category. Cold. Yeah, that's not a totally different category. It breakfasts. It's great. Just warmed. Yes, I would agree. All right. Some differences of opinion on whether it needs to be warm or not. The last one, Chinese leftovers. That's the line for me. That's not, that's not breakfast. Definitely not. I don't know. I'm stuck here because I thought I was gonna. <laughs> I thought I was gonna say yes for everything, to elevate the breakfast game. Because, I mean, we didn't talk about this either. But even brunch, brunch is the most dis- disappointing meal, ever. Because you go thinking, oh man, we're gonna get some some options here. But the food is always breakfast at brunch. I'm always bothered by that. Or it's like a melt sandwich that's just random that yes. they have to throw in there to make yeah. it feel like the lunch part is and there. And like orange juice, right? <laughs> so so guys, Chinese leftovers, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, you know what? No, no, I agree. That's just wrong. Yeah, that's and that's just an opinion, but that's wrong. So don't do it ever. I'm a man of principle. I say yes at breakfast. Breakfast is just the time of day. You can eat whatever you want. Yeah, you're just breaking your fast. That's all you're doing. All right. Well, that sums up uh, this week's new segment. Uh, John, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. And bye. I'm out of here. All right. John has lost all interest in the podcast. So we are on our own. Uh, I think we might be able to make it, though. So. Door slam. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, the next segment is our mailbag segment. We haven't really come up with a title for a lot of this, but we're going to ask the advice of a number of different pastors uh, on some questions. The first one that has come up is how do you trust God when you struggle with anxiety? Hmm. How would you answer somebody who asks that kind of a question? I would say the hardest thing is most would turn to passages like in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is telling us, do not worry about what you eat, what you put on or stuff like that, just the daily needs that you have. 
And so I think if we look at this idea of anxiety, what is the anxiety over? Because if you read also in the Bible, like there's actually seemingly a command to be anxious over that which God desires to see happen. So like Paul in Thessalonians and other passages, he says, I have anxiety over the churches. And he uses the same word, worry, that is rebuked by Jesus to actually have. But his concern is for that which God is concerned about. So I think if you're understanding this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God, you're actually changing the concern that you have from that which would be considered, and I want to use this properly because the word is worldly or only based on things of the world and not concerned over the things of God. But it's, I would say it's, it seems like it's a change of anxiety that you're actually more concerned about the things that God cares about and is concerned about. And so I would say that that, that would be one start that I would kind of guide you in is what exactly is the anxiety over. Very good. Thanks, Charles. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I, think, that, I think that's a good point where there, there has to be a, a, a change. And so I think we will continue walking down the same path, walking through the same maybe rhythms of life and yet still maybe perplexed, confused why we're, why we're still anxious. And so I think there is that in those moments that you have to find a, a change and, and yes, it is going to be a battle for the mind. That's the mind is a warfare. It's, it's the grounds for warfare. I mean, why, why wouldn't the devil, the enemy attack us there, there first. Um, and, and so there, it's certainly a warfare where a change has to take place. And, and some would describe anxiety, not strictly as, but, but as, yes, that's an emotion. And can we replace the emotion of anxiety with actually the fruit of the spirit and counteract that with, with peace? And so don't be anxious, but in everything by, by prayer and supplication. And so there's even an antidote or an action step out of our anxiety to, to pray. And even in those prayers, asking. And so, and, and oftentimes that can prove in people's experiences to be empty as well. I have been praying. I have been asking, why hasn't anything been, been changing? And I think a piece of that is even in that, that text of scripture I'm referring to is there's a piece that surpasses all understanding. And the warfare is actually at times about giving up the need that we have to understand, to fully understand the circumstance, to fully understand the why God isn't coming through in the timing or in the way we want him to see. And if we fight for the fact that we don't have to completely understand, because I think when we bring our, our asks to God, his desire as, as our father is to answer um, and oftentimes it's not best to give us the full answer or it's best to have us wait or it's, or there's not going to be an understanding of his timing. Um, but whether it's to Charles's point where there's a change in what we are anxious or concerned about that really leaves some anxiety or there's a change in us having to know or having to completely understand uh, I think those those two can can help 
in a, in a settling of, of the mind and the heart. And even in that replacing or that change, there also needs to be a filling. There has to be that renewing of the mind and diving into God's word where we're going to, where God's word is going to inform our emotions and God's word is going to inform our feelings, which I mean, we've, we've even talked about as a, as a church for a long season now where, where emotions and feelings can lie to us in, in the most simplistic way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, we, we, we spent some time on this, uh, during the winter in student ministry, we had a whole series called mindset and actually spent uh, quite a bit of time on the passage that Justin just referred to in Philippians. Um, we're just, Paul is just saying, honestly, from a prison cell, which is an interesting thing to think about, um, don't, don't be anxious about anything. Um, and the command is not just saying um, when that emotion comes up to squash it. He's actually saying, um, don't be anxious in anything because in everything, there's an opportunity to rely on the Lord um, and to ask him to intervene. Um, and Justin's saying, you know, what was true that um, it's not always clear um, what God is doing, but just as a really broad stroke, um, you, you and I are made to rely on the Lord we're made to do life with the Lord. We're made to trust the Lord. And so much of the anxiety I feel on a day-to-day basis comes from a heart that um, one, doesn't believe that God's for me, doesn't believe that God is with me and doesn't see my life through the lens of like, that's a reality. And so, um, you know, I just say like, as a kind of naturally anxious person, um, man, I've, I've been using my anxiety. The Lord's just been working in my heart personally. Um, it's kind of a check engine light um, where I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to throw the car out or, or tape over the check engine light when I see that come up in my car, because that's going to lead to bigger problems down the road. Right. But when I see that light come on, it's a, it's a, uh, an opportunity, like Paul's saying, when that emotion comes up, go to Jesus, go to God. He, he wants to do life with you. Um, and, and so using your anxiety as a way to honestly, um, learn to trust and pray and, and, and rely on him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Um, it's a hard question to answer because it's so broad and anxiety looks so different from person to person. Uh, it's easy for any one of us to just kind of imagine, you know, the, when somebody's referring to anxiety, it looks like the way I personally experience anxiety. I don't know that that's really always the case. Um, you know, because it, it comes from anywhere and anything. It could be perfectionism in your life. It could be a lack of trust in God as being good and being for you. It could be like issues with chemicals in your body. Uh, and each one of those uh, as answering that question uh, would look very, very different. Um, but I do like what you said, Danny, about it's a check engine light. And in any one of those cases, I think it's valid to sit and say, I'm, I feel anxious, I'm not going to let that determine my reality, but where's that coming from? Why am I feeling anxious? And that'll start leading you down that, that, uh, that rabbit hole of, well, is it because I don't really believe God is for me? 
Is it because maybe I'm a perfectionist and God's trying to bring that up in my life? Um, and as you work through that quietly, gently, slowly uh, with the Lord, uh, I think that's where a lot of spiritual growth can happen. So I think, you know, it, the first step with anxiety is recognizing it and acknowledging that there there is potentially tension there. And that in and of itself is the first step towards trusting the Lord more. So uh, just to throw this out there as well, if anyone is struggling with anxiety or has this question or wants to discuss it more, like these are the kinds of things we love to help people with and talk through with people. We just invite you to reach out uh, and connect with us uh, either on Facebook, which uh, I don't have the information right in front of me. It's Redemption Church. Uh, am I? Am I on Facebook? And uh, no, it's Redemption Am I on Facebook and Redemption Church Am I on Instagram. Uh, so we'd love to interact with you more. Uh, let's move on to the next question, uh, which is simply, why does God sometimes feel distant? Again, a very broad question. Well, let me, let me, why maybe, does God feel distant? Yeah. Take a crack at this. Uh, I think a lot of times we just imagine it's kind of the anthropomorphism. I love throwing out big words that I have a hard time defining, uh, where we picture God as a human, much like ourselves, which helps in many ways, uh, but also limits our ability to understand what's really going on. God is other. God is transcendent. He's holy. He's not like the rest of his creation. Uh, and there's a sense in which uh, seeing God as human like us is helpful, but it also hinders because he is so different. And when we imagine like we're the four of us are sitting here, like looking at each other face to face, uh, you know, communicating through nonverbals and verbal communication. And it's easy to feel like, well, I'm present with Danny and Justin and Charles because they're in the same room. I can see them. If I really wanted to, I could reach out and touch them if, you know, and, and we can interact. Whereas God, not being physical, and I know I'm I'm waiting on into uh, uh, dangerous theological. You better word, watch your words. Waters. Yeah, um, but our method of interacting with God is spiritual, not physical. And I think for us who are primarily physical beings who do have that spiritual component, but it isn't the component of us that is normally exercised, I think it's really hard. And I think it creates these moments, even these seasons in life where God feels distant and we can affirm the reality that God is omnipresent. He's always present in every place, uh, but we don't necessarily feel that. And I think a lot of that is because uh, we're trying to interact with God in a physical way. Uh, and I think there are times God will reveal himself in physical ways, but I think he's primarily spiritual uh, and we need to continue to work, exercise, and train ourselves uh, in those spiritual disciplines and spiritual awarenesses uh, to recognize God's presence. Yeah, I think I think that's where my mind goes as well, because if I'm defining something as distant in, in the physical sense, it's too it's too far. I can't see it, or it's it's not here. I can't I can't touch it, or I can't hear, or I can't feel it. And so we do bring those physical aspects to our perception of where God is and and what He is doing. But I think perhaps what could help us believe that he's not is even in the, in the physical world, how many things are actually happening in the physical world that are, that are unseen, 
I know this week we're even walking into a, a series summer in the Psalms and starting in Psalms 1. And so you have this picture of, of a tree that it, that is planted. But even in the physical sense, what had to happen for that tree to grow? So many things that you can't, can't see. The water that's falling in the soil, that's getting after the seed, the roots that are growing deeper, the roots that are growing wider. And all of those things are taking place underground before you see the fruit of that tree above ground. Even if you look at what... Well, we're, we're sitting here on earth. The earth is rotating. It's on its axis. It's revolving around the sun. And so we don't necessarily feel that sitting here. But so much even in the physical sense is happening. And so some of those aspects, I think, would help if we'd allow them to invade our thinking of what is true in the spiritual sense, where though God is distant, there is still so much at work that so oftentimes in our lives we then see in hindsight because that hindsight then becomes 2020. Oh yeah, that's what he was doing. Oh yeah, now I can see how he was working all along to bring me to to the, this point. And so I think I think you're right on, JP. One other thing, if I can add uh, before you guys get a chance, is uh, I think maybe some people are, are, are referring to even an emotional sense in that. I know when I talk about feeling like God is distant, there's an emotional sense where I recognize that I am not as passionate for the Lord or as on fire for the Lord or, you know, even just as interested in that relationship. Um which I think shifts the focus, right? Because now we're not talking about God's distance. We're talking about my uh, relational interaction with God, which is important to recognize. Uh, but I also think that it reflects human relationships as well. I mean, if you're married, like, do you always feel like 100% in tune and close to your spouse? Um, maybe I'm admitting more than I should. I don't. Uh I'm, I'm getting some nods, uh, <laughs> you know, even with friends, like, do you always feel a hundred percent connected and close to your friends or are there moments where that relationship kind of ebbs and flows and that's natural and okay. And uh, certainly you don't want that to ebb or flow. I don't know which one's good and which one's bad, um, for, for too long. Uh, but understanding that part of that is just the natural course of a relationship I think is helpful as well. Charles, Danny, do you guys have I was any? just going to say that, it, I mean, you mentioned the Psalms and I'm glad there's a series coming up on the book of Psalms because when you listen to the psalmist express kind of the heart of living under uh, the lordship of God, one of the confusing parts is when God seems distant from the psalmist and the truth that the psalmist is wrestling over is here's a circumstance that I'm facing. Here's a promise that God has made towards his people, but the promise isn't being met in reality. So where are you, God? Like, do you not see this? Do you not care? Are you not going to act? And the psalmist is asking God to do the things that he's promised to do. So typically it's your circumstances are one way and you're reading the word of God and seeing that God delights to act in another way, but that is not what you see. And so that is the hardest part about some of this truth that we're realizing this distance is the fact that the distance is really the, the perception that God is not doing the things that he's promised to do to, in the psalmist in, in particular. And so that distance is, is felt by us because we want God to do something or to change something or be seen in our life, which to Justin's point, it is the truth that that is seen. And the reminder is that God is not 
distant. God is not far off. He is there, but he's not going to necessarily do the very thing in the time that we would like him to do it. And that's the difficulty that we wrestle over often. That's good. That's good. Danny? Yeah, to just take it completely a different direction for a minute. Um, one of the, the things that's been really impactful for me this year is um, reading uh, Dallas Willard, if you guys are familiar with that. He's a theologian, pretty popular these days um, through guys like John Mark Comer. Um, and one of his uh, most famous quotes is, is that hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. And um, without getting super deep, just thinking about your week, um, like, man, um, when you're busy and just going from one uh, urgent thing to another, like, it's hard to think about relationships. It's hard to think of anything of substance, let alone your relationship with this unseen God that we're talking about. Um, and I would just say, like, um, I'm not talking about kind of getting posted up in some monastery and being a monk, that type of, like, unhurried life, even though that's maybe for some people. Um, I, I'm really just talking about, like, the simplicity of, like, taking time to, to pray and maybe even write down what you're praying for. I think in, in my life, even with marriage and, and with my son and in ministry, like one of the best, um, b biggest gifts I would say in the last like six months is just going back through the things that I've actually prayed for and seeing how many of those things God has come through on. And like, you want to feel like God's not distant and is for you. Like um, take time to remember and be grateful um, for what he's doing in your life because he is working in your life. That's awesome. I changed my answer. I, I take Danny's answer. <laughs> well, I, th I think even in, in the simplicity of Danny's answer, there, it, it can go deep to the heart. And, and certainly when we, when we feel, when we think, and when we believe God is distant, there can be great depths to that. But it also could be just as simple as who moved? Did God move or has it been me? So I, I think that is a necessary question when, when we're battling some of these things. Yes, the struggle can go way deeper, but it could have been me too. And so, so who moved? I think Charles might have an answer to that. Well, the, the hard part too is, again, the other side of that though is, I mean, and the assumption is we moved. But if you look at the life of Jesus, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in a sense, Jesus was being fully obedient. And, and the psalmist... I believe it's the psalmist. It could be in one of the prophets, uh, but makes the comment, surely you are a God who hides himself. And God often hides himself to reveal the heart of the seeker who is genuinely set to seek the Lord. God says in one of the, one of the prophets, he says, seek my face. You said, O Lord, seek my face. And the response is your face, O Lord, I will seek. But then later on, it's this, God, you've hidden your face from me. You told me to seek your face, but now it's hidden from me. Where is it? Where are you? Like this constant desire to go after God, even though he delights to hide himself sometimes, it's bizarre. So I would say it's really hard to say who moved in that instance. I, I understand Danny's point. Like, yes, often our busyness, but sometimes the most faithful people who love the Lord and go after him are still perplexed that God is not, yeah, where right. are you? Right. Like that's, yeah, like it's still the yeah. reality of God delights yeah. to bring about a greater, a deeper expression of the faith of those who actually are faithful. And he knows exactly how to do that. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's good. If you're asking that question, you're in good company. You're <laughs> yeah, with uh, Jesus, David, Paul, 
Yeah. And this table. Yeah, this this table. table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, very good. Let's do uh, one last question here. Uh, if someone were to say to you, sometimes I just don't feel like worshiping, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's hard. Without trying to be condescending, I'd say join the club. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, again, welcome to the club. Yeah, I, uh, I heard a quote uh, by somebody who said, so the quote had something to do with like, uh, this is the only time here on earth where we can choose to offer worship to God when we don't feel like it. Because when we get to heaven, it will just, it will flow. Uh, and it was meant to be like an encouragement to people who are going through suffering, difficulty, and things like that who uh, don't feel like worshiping or who might be having a hard time entering into worship to say, you get to actually make a choice to worship uh, right now, which, and you won't be able to do that in heaven. On earth is the only time you get to make that choice. Uh, and I found that really, really encouraging because, again, it's not about feelings. It's about understanding who God is. Uh, and if you have to rehearse the story, rehearse the story. If you have to, you know, even for, for some people, maybe not for others, you know, walk through a theological primer about who is God and, you know, what are God's characteristics to put everything back in perspective and recognize your place before God, then do it. It's okay uh, to get to a place where you say, maybe I don't emotionally feel this, but God deserves my worship because I'm just a creature and he's the creator. So he's getting my worship. Hmm. I think the sad part is, is our expectation of what worship is, is greatly limited by that which is expressed in biblical passages like, uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it or enter his thanks with thanksgiving in your heart, right? Enter his courts with praise. Those are true statements, but that is not the totality of what it looks like to worship God. Worshiping God is also the, the full expression, like in Lamentations 3, is a, it's a poem of worship to God in the midst of seeing all this massive suffering. And he's expressing how he actually feels. This is exactly how I feel. I think worship is valuing God to a degree that you come to him in the simplicity of, of how you are right then in that moment. And it is not the fact that you have to feel yourself want to worship God. It is you still see the need that God is there, that you are under him and that God desires to hear from you when you go to, you go to him. If we're basing worship on this, I feel good about what God is doing in my life, then many of us actually don't worship God on a regular basis, even on Sunday morning, even when we're singing the song, because our heart is deceiving us and we're trying to actually muster up the joy to respond in a way that is what we would deem appropriate to God because he's awesome. We know he's awesome. But again, that is oversimplifying what worship is. Worship is also going to God and saying things, again, like the Psalms, where you're crying out to God from a heart that is confused, that is hurt, that is broken. If you look at Job, right? Job is questioning constantly through the book, and yet it says that he did not go against God in his mouth. He's not offering sacrifice, but he's constantly going, I have no idea what God's doing. I have no idea. Like, I feel like I would be, it would be better if I wasn't born. Like, I... I'm sorry, that's not a guy who's singing with his hands raised on a Sunday morning. He's just not doing that. He's literally overwhelmed by his friends, by negative advice, by negative circumstances and going, I wish I wasn't born, but God is still there and he's gonna, I'm gonna stand before him one day 
I don't know what this is. I don't know what's happening. So he understood God's place and he was totally confused as to what God was doing. But it says that he never slandered God with his, with his mouth. He never went against him, which meant in all of the things that he did, he was still worshiping God, still put him in the place where God needed to be. And that's, I think, a beautiful picture of worship that perhaps we don't understand very often. Yeah, if Job can worship through that book with some of the stuff he says. Yeah. Uh, with the things that he expressed. Yeah. Like that's the thing too. Yeah, it totally changes our perspective on what the word means. Justin, you look like you got something to say. <laughs> um, I think I think there's two, you know, for myself, thinking of my own own heart, my own life. When I'm in that that spot, it's probably for either two reasons. I don't feel like worshiping because I feel defeated, or I don't want to worship because I'm just in a place of selfishness. And I think I think you could even bring about, as I've heard it some teach where it's like, we're, we're actually always worshiping. We're always worshiping someone or some, something. And so even the, the desire to not feel like worshiping, yes, is in the context of worshiping God, but it, I think it's in those moments where whether it's my own self pity or sorrow, I, I want some sort of attention myself. Wait a second. I want to worship you because actually God, you haven't come through for me in the, in the way that I want you to, or even back to our, our last question, you, you've been distant. So why should I draw near? And so some of those thoughts really just drive home for me, the, the heart of heart of selfishness. And, and if I, if I'm going to choose to worship my, myself, then that's going to be a really pitiful worship. And I, and I don't think it should, at least for myself, it won't take a long time of, of thinking to realize that I'm just in a bad place or in, in the wrong place and to be drawn back to where, where I should be. And that's worshiping the presence of the Lord. But I think of that place of, of defeat, which again can often even be reflective of just the, the trial or the journey that is often a relationship with the Lord through many circumstances of life and struggles and, and trials. And I think there is times where we do have to go through the motions and the motion and the act of worship with our heads until our hearts catch up yeah. to where the, it's, whether it's the, com, what is compelling about worshiping with other believers in church where, you know, I'm not all there, but it's actually this body of Christ that has actually brought my heart along with me. Or it's, it's just, yes, it, I, I'm going to go through this physically, but that's where the Lord's then going to grab my heart. Um, and so, yes, worship in part, even if I'm going through the motions, which at least brings us to a point where, where the God, that God has our attention or we're in, with other believers where it's actually, wait a second, God has their attention, which then opens up our eyes to, to maybe find ourselves then not in a place where we're worshiping in part, but we're, we're in whole where we're, yep. My, my head's, I'm going to kind of maybe do it with, a, with my head or, or my, my body. But in that process, uh, then the Lord works where the, where the heart catches up. That's good. And what I love is like the Psalms bear witness to that, where David actually talks to his soul and says like, why are you downcast, oh my soul? And I don't think that, you know, we necessarily talk about that a whole lot or understand like that. Yeah. Like you have different 
parts of your being that aren't all on the same page necessarily. <laughs> and good. there are times where yeah. you need to instruct yourself. Like if your mind knows something and your heart is not there, well, your mind needs to speak up and start instructing. Um, and I think that's just a beautiful picture of that honest worship in the Psalms where David says, hey, my soul isn't in the right place right now. Let me talk to you for a second, my soul. Uh, and I think that's really good. So that uh, just really echoes, I think, what you're you're trying to say there. Danny? Yeah, it's actually interesting that you say that, JP, because I was, I was kind of in that same um, train of thought too. Um, I think when you ask this question, sometimes I, I, don't, I don't feel like worshiping. I think probably I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you're specifically talking about those times on Sunday morning, maybe with the congregation. Um, worship totally is a lifestyle. It is everything that we do, but I think it's, it's probably has to be geared towards Sunday morning um, or with other believers. And I would just say like uh, a, a thing for me, if you ever see me at the, uh, when I'm at the, at church, I probably won't be singing the first song. Um, a lot of times with the congregation, you can pick on me for whatever. Um, what I'm doing is, is praying a lot of times and asking the Lord, hey, I want to, uh, to do what is pleasing to you in this moment. I want to bring the right sacrifice. I want to be connected with you. If it's grievances I have with you, if it's um, the, the reality of my heart, like you guys have been saying, I, I wanna be on the same page with you, Lord. And I see a gap between where my head's at right now and where I should be, not as just an expression of joy, but in, in, in all of me, I want to be connected with you. And, and man, what has been so, so um, helpful for me recently is um, asking the Lord to connect my head and my heart and my soul and all of those things. Why? Because the spirit is the one who leads and, and fulfills um, the, those, those calls that the Lord gives to us, right? I, there's no amount of um, faith or courage or, um, or worship um, that I can muster up in my heart um, to do what's pleasing to the Lord. The spirit has to help me and he's there in that moment. Um, and so I would just say like, man, if you feel a gap between where you should be with worship or faith or any other thing in your spiritual life, um, you feel a gap between where you are and where you should be. I wonder if God himself is placing that there um, and, and you're gonna keep stumbling over yourself until you get humble and ask him to start leading the way in doing that. Yeah. And I would say the one thing that I, taking what you guys are saying, there is a communal aspect of dependence that we miss. Meaning, uh, again, I agree with Danny. Most of this is in the context of like, we're there on Sunday morning and there's songs being played. And I go, I have no desire to sing that song <laughs> yeah, right. because I am not at all as excited as Steve is up there leading this song right. or looking at the ladies singing. Like they're totally bought into that truth. I'm definitely not there. Right. And one of the things that I need to do is simply let God's people bless in that moment. Like I... I come in a varied emotional state and I agree with Danny. Like it's hard to just jump in, especially when you come to church and you've had some, let's just say some uh, disgruntled passengers <laughs> in your car on the way there, just to put it nicely. Like something happened and you're like, ah, oh, and then now you're going to church, you're late, some, all of that. Now you're coming in there and then you're gonna change. Like, you know, your mom used to answer the phone, hey there, after she just yelled at you, <laughs> like that sort of thing. But that's, that's not happening. And we know before God, like, God, you know me, this is totally fake, whatever it is. 
that is an opportunity for you to be blessed by the people of God and not to judge, just to watch and to see again, God is present with his people. The Holy Spirit is drawing our hearts and it's an opportunity for us to experience what God tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, other people come in and they're, they're weighed down. And it's also an opportunity for us as God's people to also learn to mourn with those who are mourning because that is a varied emotional experience. When you come to church, you can't dictate what is gonna be happening throughout your week and think that Sunday morning is always gonna be the same way. And so when you come in, that is an opportunity for the church, God's gathered people there to care for one another and to be mindful of that. And I think if you're watching someone, perhaps, and I do this too, if I see someone, let's say there's uh, perhaps a, a teenager and I'm usually looking at like some of the people who just look stoic, they don't care, their heart kind of looks hardened to God. Like I, I have, I have a, a sympathy towards that and I just simply stop singing and I will pray for that person. And I'll say, God, I do not know what they're going through. I do not know where their heart is right now. But Lord, there seems to be a distance between you and them. And I'm just observing, Lord. I said, you know their heart, they might be reflecting on it, but Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart, that they would understand more of who you are and rejoice, learn to rejoice in what they're gonna hear in your word. Because it, it, you have to be mindful of God's people. I am not there for myself. I am there for the edification of God's people. That's an aspect of why we also gather. And that's a, an aspect of worship also. That's good. I like it. Uh, lots of tools. Uh, I like the, the communal aspect that you guys are talking about, letting yourself be a part of a larger community and not having to fabricate, you know, your own emotion or your own uh, fervency for worship yourself. Uh, Danny, I, I also really appreciate that aspect of understanding that there are certain things only the spirit can do. And rather than trying to get your emotions up and all revved and ready to go yourself, you know, there's an aspect of just quietly saying, I'm, I'm a sinner who's still wrestling with the sin nature. And once again, Holy Spirit, I need you to come make my heart alive because I cannot do it myself. Um, great humility there. Um, well, awesome. I think that's just about all the time we have for this week. Uh, thank you for joining us here on The Post. If you haven't already, we'd encourage you to click follow, subscribe, or like on your podcasting app to make sure you get notified when we release an episode. And if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear those. Just connect with us via email, info at redemptionmi.org, or you can send us a message on social media at redemptionmi on Facebook and redemptionchurchmi on Instagram. Until next week, have a great time.